Our Father, we're so thankful for the morning that we have together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That you, in the greatest act of love the world has ever seen, stepped out of heaven, entered into humanity, and lived sinlessly and died brutally. And the way that your love and your justice collided in this event is something that only you could have thought up. But we're so thankful that it didn't even end there, that three days later you came back to life and you displayed your power over Satan's sin and death and the brokenness that we're all aware of, that we can turn the news on or look on our feeds and we can see this world is, is broken and yet you have made a way for hope and for peace and eventually the restoration of all things in Jesus. So words cannot express our gratitude. Thank you. We pray that you're honored in all that takes place here in this room. We're praying that you're honored in all that takes place in the room next door with the the kiddos. And God, we just pray that they and us this morning would hear from you. And so I pray that you would encourage and challenge and bless. In the name of the living Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, Luke chapter 24, 13 through 35 is where we're going to be this morning. Some of you may have grabbed a Bible on your way in. I think we have some Bibles around the the seats here, and then we'll put the scripture up on the screen. And so go ahead and head on over there. Luke 24, 13 through 35. And uh, again, uh, those Bibles that you have around, if, if you don't have one of your very own, we would love for you to take that home. It's our gift to you. Break it in. It's page 610. On those Bibles. Now, as a church, we've been walking through this New Testament book of Luke on the life of Jesus. We've walked all the way through his life, and now here we are, and this day in his life, well, it's kind of a big deal, right? It's kind of a big deal. He died and he came back to life. And if you haven't been able to tell, we're kind of psyched about that here this morning that Jesus was nailed to a cross, brutal execution tool of the Romans. And he died and he was put in the grave. But Jesus goes to the grave like we go to a hotel. I'm just checking in for a few days. I'll be out on Sunday. And he walks out of the grave. Pretty cool. Have you ever passed out? Anybody? Probably have. You get lightheaded. You get dizzy. Kind of step a couple and then you hit the ground and you're out. A few years back I was leading this trip uh, to Central America. We traveled through El Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras and uh, I've always prided myself in having a strong stomach, you know, and so everybody else gets sick, but I don't get sick on these things, and so I was on this trip, and I was about to get humbled, and so I don't know if I ate something or drank some water that I shouldn't have drank, but I got nasty sick, and uh, I passed out somewhere in Guatemala, <laughs> and I passed out, and I was on the sidewalk there, and, and I, I started to come too, but my eyes were still closed. And, and as I was coming to, I'm hearing crying all around me. I'm hearing my wife crying and a bunch of the, the students that I'm hanging out with crying. And I feel some like, limp hands on my chest. And I wake up and the hands were some Guatemalan man who had watched one too many episodes of Baywatch doing CPR on me. And a shoddy job of CPR at that because my heart was not really being touched at all. And uh, by him doing CPR on me, it got everybody in the crowd all worked up because they thought... He needs his heart to be massaged. It's, it's not beating. And so everybody's sobbing. And I opened my eyes. And I was a lifeguard in high school, David Hasselhoff, myself. And so I, I knew that this isn't how you do And I pushed him off. And I came up. And it's okay. I, I, I think I just blacked out for a minute there. But, you know, what happened then was 
everybody said, Josh, Josh, you need to get some fluid in you. You need to relax. You need to sit back. You need to, you need to take it easy. That's what you do when you pass out, right? You just kind of take it easy. Now, now, Jesus had been out cold, dead actually, for, for three whole days. And he wakes up, and rather than taking it easy, what we're going to see today is he decides, hey, I'm going to go on a seven-mile walk. That's what Jesus does today. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Dead this morning, seven-mile exercise this afternoon. And he comes alongside of two of his disciples who are struggling. Two of his, his followers who are having a, a difficult time. Now, the resurrection of Jesus is not just some legend that we as Christians mindlessly buy into that kind of has grown over the years. We believe that the resurrection of Jesus is historically verifiable, that it's, it's more than a, a legend, it's truth, it, it happened, and, and, and we can verify that with, with general practices of history. However, if you have doubts, you're welcome here, and if you struggle in faith, you're welcome here, and if you've ever found yourself walking away from God, wherever you're at, I, I want you to hear this, and that is that God is not mad at you about your struggles. But he does want to address your struggles. And so I believe that in God's perfect plan, he's brought you here today because maybe like those two disciples, you've been struggling and he's now bringing you here so that he can come alongside of you to address some things, to help you out with some things, to, to, to give you life and to free you so that you can learn to really live with Jesus alongside of you. He comes alongside of these two, and I want you this morning to put yourself in their shoes. So look with me, Luke chapter 24. We'll start with 13 and 14. It says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So let's get the picture. It says, On that very day. Now, what was that day? That day was Resurrection Sunday, what we're celebrating today, the day that Jesus came back to life. He will appear to his followers for 40 days. He doesn't go appear to the, the leaders and say, what's up, I'm alive. You try to take me out, but look at that, come back, kid. No, he appears to his followers. He wants to encourage his followers, and, and, and it's that day. It's the day that he comes back to life, and he starts to appear to people over the course of 40 days, and this is the very first day. And if we link all the accounts of the life of Jesus together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we'll see is that this period that we're looking at in this passage is the afternoon, after the morning, where the ladies go in and see the empty tomb and go back and tell the disciples and they don't believe them, as Morgan read earlier. Now, so we've got two people walking together on this seven-mile road to a town called Emmaus. Now, down in verse 18, and we'll get there in a bit, we learn that one of the people walking on the road is one named Cleopas, and the other person is unnamed. And so, in John chapter 19, we get a little more information on this because we're told that there's this woman named Mary, the wife of Cleopas, at the foot of the cross with Jesus's mother Mary and another Mary and another lady, and John, they're at the foot of the cross. And so Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and so we know that here we've got Cleopas and we've got Mary, two people who were so close to Jesus when he was alive that they're there at his, his crucifixion while he's hanging on a cross. Now, it says that they're going to Emmaus from the city of 
Jerusalem where Jesus died. And we're told that that road is a seven mile long road. So what does that mean? It means that they're going home. They're they're going home. They're not going to leave Jerusalem, which is the major city in that region, to go run errands seven miles away over in Emmaus. Just like we wouldn't leave Boston to go run errands in, say, Dover, Massachusetts. They're going home. They're leaving the big city and they're, they're, they're taking off. The other disciples are hanging around in Jerusalem and they're, they're hiding out back in that upper room, likely. But Cleopas and Mary, they're like, yeah, you know what, guys? I think this whole thing is over. He's dead. I think we're going to head out now. And they're going home. And it says as they're going home, they're, they're talking together about all the things that had happened. They're trying to make sense of everything. All this Jesus stuff that we were, were living and we're obviously so invested in that we would be at the cross. Mary watched him die. But now he's dead. Game over. So what do we do with our lives? How do, how do we go on? Right? There's, a, there's a ton to talk about. And, and I wonder if, if, if any of you find yourself today in Mary and Cleopas' shoes. Literally heading to Emmaus, but figuratively, you don't know where you're going. Maybe you're, you're walking, living life, one foot in front of the other, but you don't really know where you're going, what you're doing. Have you asked yourself, what am I pursuing with my life? Am I pursuing a career? Am I pursuing a, a degree? Am I pursuing a marriage? Am I pursuing a a family? Am I pursuing financial success? Or maybe you know that I'm not that shallow. There's, there's more to, to life to pursue. I just don't know how to get there. I don't know what to pursue. Well, let me ask you a question. If Jesus really did die and come back to life, could it be that he is what you are to be pursuing with your life? I mean, could that be true? Let me just make what I believe to be a reasonable suggestion. And that is that if Jesus died and didn't come back to life, that means you choose your road. You go, whatever, go wherever you want to go. Do whatever you want to do. Make the most of this life. But if Jesus resurrected, that means obviously he's the road. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And yet many Christians will say, I believe in the resurrection. Yeah. Happy Easter. He is risen, indeed. But be honest, is that your pursuit? I mean, really, is that what you're pursuing in life? Now, we'll let Cleopas and Mary off the hook because as far as they know, he's dead. Now, check out what happens next. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. It says, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? We'll stop there. So they're heading home and the resurrected living Jesus joins them on the road and he starts to walk down the road with them. And it says that their eyes are supernaturally kept from recognizing Jesus. Why would that be? Wouldn't you just say, here I am, I'm alive, follow me. But he keeps their eyes from seeing him. Possibly because, anybody ever met a celebrity before? 
and you get, uh, 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 you don't know what to say, and you've always had, if I ever met so-and-so, I would say this, or this, you just, your tongue gets all tied up, and you don't know what to say. I've been there before. My, my wife and I had this friend, and uh, uh, she was going nuts because a couple of months ago, she went with her, her family to her son's hockey match over in Brookline, and uh, ends up, he's playing Tom Brady's son, and Tom and Giselle show up. I personally believe they should have been at the Super Bowl. It was the same week. But instead, they were at the hockey match. And she said, I was just, ah, ah, ah. and she just starts snapping pictures all over Facebook. No pictures of her child. Just, just Tom's face real close and Giselle. And, and maybe Jesus says, I'm going to keep them from seeing me because they're not going to be able to think straight. They're not going to be able to understand. They need to hear what I'm about to tell them. They, they need to hear some things first. They need to learn some things first. He wants to address their struggles first so that they could see Jesus in the Bible before they see Jesus again with their eyes. And that's where we're at today. That's what we get. We get to see Jesus in the Bible. In one of his later appearances, what Jesus will say is this. He'll say, blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. And so, so many of us say, oh, if I just saw Jesus, yeah, I believe. He says, blessed are you if you don't see and you believe. So they don't recognize him, but he starts walking with them. And for some of you, maybe this is where you're at right now. You don't recognize the reality that God is walking with you right now. And you don't see him, you don't sense him, you don't recognize him, but he is walking with you Right now, maybe he's been in your life for longer than you've realized. He's been setting some things up so that in his perfect timing, you might see and you might believe. So that maybe you could find yourself even here today and and, and see and believe. And so even when you don't feel like he's here, maybe he is actually here with you. He's active and he's doing things that are unseen. The Bible tells us that there is a spiritual realm. It's even more real than what you see in front of you. And so maybe he is moving. And you don't even see it. Now, we'll get a little bit more insight into to Cleopas and Mary's heart. Jesus asks these two. He says, it looks like you're, you're deep in conversation. What are you talking about? And um, some of us are like, man, there could be some occasions in my life where he asked me that. And I said, I, I, I can't tell you. And maybe this is one of those for them. He knows exactly what they're talking about, actually. Psalm 139.4 says that even before a word is on your tongue, he knows it all together. So God knows our thoughts thoughts but what God does is you see Jesus all throughout the the gospel accounts is he loves to ask good questions to set people up for teaching some of your parents you do that really well hey honey do you think that was a good idea (laughs) setting them up for a, a teaching moment and he's he's asking them a question and and he wants to to ask a question so that he can answer your questions Jeremiah 29 13 says this he says if you seek me you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart somebody say yeah I would I would love to know for sure that God is real I would love my heart to get there but you haven't really sought after him in fact you will seek me and you will find me if you search for me with part of your heart most of your heart all of your heart he says so he wants you to, to find him. He, he says, you're allowed to have questions. It's okay to have questions. We're not people in here who have it all together and have every question answered. We are people who are seeking God and want to know him more and more and more. He says, what is it that you're talking about? And it says, they stop and they look sad because for all they know, Jesus is dead. They had great expectations. 
but he's dead. Now, responding to Cleopas's question, or Jesus' question, Cleopas says, you might be the only person in this whole city who doesn't know what's happened over the past few days. Are you kidding me? You never heard about Jesus and everything that has happened? Now, hopefully that will help us to understand that, that this is a really big deal, all that's happened. It wasn't this little thing that happened and they hung this criminal up on a cross. It was a huge deal, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, his trials, his crucifixion. It stirred the whole city. Everybody knew about it. This is what I call some circumstantial evidence that will help you to understand the reality of Jesus. It was so huge. It was so widely known. Everybody knew about what had happened that weekend. And it explains the rapid expansion of the Christian faith. Thousands of people within weeks. If the resurrection were not true, it wouldn't have expanded so fast. All that Rome and and the Jewish people had to do was just show the tomb right here. Walk inside if you want. It's in there. But they couldn't show the the remains of Jesus. Some people said, well, you know, they uh, they probably stole the remains. He had his best of his best guards guarding the, the, the tomb. And, and his guards were there. They sealed it up. They couldn't have stolen it. They couldn't have taken out these guards, Chuck Norris style, rolled this massive stone away. And, and it couldn't have happened. This was such a big deal. They're going to make sure the bones don't get stolen. It was huge. Everybody knew about it. They say, you don't know about this? He says, know about, know about what? <laughs> I love that. Now listen to Cleopas and and Mary's understanding of of what's happened. Verse 19. And he said to them, what? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So Jesus says, tell me what happened. What's going on? He listens. He says, talk to me. Maybe Jesus is saying to you this morning, talk to me. I want to hear your perspective. I want to to hear your struggle. Know this, God is interested, genuinely interested in you, in your struggles, in your hangups. He doesn't say, well, if you're not going to believe in me, easy like this guy over here, it was easy for him. It's not so easy for you. It's okay. He says, says, talk to me. Talk to me. It's crazy to me. I I love this about Jesus. He could have just been, shh, 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 don't talk. I'm God, Hello. Let me just tell you how it is. But all throughout the New Testament, you just keep seeing Jesus listening to people. The woman at the well, and he hears her story and everything that's going on. And then he says, oh, actually, I knew all of that. Actually, I know everything about you. But he listens as a way of helping you to to grow to to love him and know him and to see his truth. And some people happens fast, and some people happens really slow, and some of you are in the middle. But, But listen, know this. Under the example of Jesus... As a church, we want to know you. We want to hear your story. Please talk to us. Please hang around. Please journey with us. Please belong with us, even if you're not quite there yet. So Jesus listens, and Cleopas and Mary tell Jesus, who they don't even recognize yet, 
So Jesus, we think, was a, a prophet. He was a miracle worker. He was a good teacher. And they go on to tell Jesus, we all kind of hope that he would be the one to save Israel, that he would be the Messiah, but they crucified him. Game over. It's been three days. We even hung around a few extra days just to see. Nothing. Well, we got excited for a little while there when a few ladies came and said we, we saw an empty tomb and we saw an angel, but eh, they were just hallucinating because they, they never showed us to, to Jesus. So they're sad. They're sad. And maybe some of you are here today and you feel a little bit of that too. A little bit of everything for everybody here today. Some of you are feeling sad, you're, you're frustrated, you're unsatisfied, you're confused, you're as we've already said, lacking direction. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing. And, and you need your head lifted. That's what Jesus does for these two. And that's what he wants to do for you today. I know that, that many people in this room that I know very well, many of you have been in that place. You were frustrated. You were confused. You were anxious. You were depressed. You, you didn't have direction in life. And, and somehow Jesus came alongside of you. And, and over time, he got a hold of your heart. And you placed faith in him and he lifted your head and now you've got a purpose and a direction and a vision and you know what you're doing with your life and you know where you're going and it all makes sense now even the pain in this life makes sense because you know that when you die it's going to be over and this little life is just such a blip on the radar screen of eternity that, that do whatever you want it, it's it's going to be worth it. it's going to make me appreciate heaven all the more right and so maybe you're you're there and jesus listens and he hears and and listen to his response look at verse 25 and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How awesome is this? He just keeps walking with them. And for the remainder of their walk, I don't know how many miles, if even a whole mile into the seven-mile walk, they were at this point. But for the whole time, the remainder of the walk, he is opening up the Bible, the whole Old Testament. And he's explaining how he is seen in the Scriptures, how the Scriptures point to him, how the whole Jewish faith makes sense in light of Jesus. Hashtag best Bible study ever, right? I mean, this is incredible. So in my, my son's classroom, they have this strange contraption. I got to see it recently. And uh, they have this, it's like this table. And then there's five bars coming out from underneath the table. And then attached to the bars all around the table are five balls. Like they're, they're those yoga exercise balls attached. And so the kids can sit on the balls and they can bounce. And so if the kids get a little restless, and there's a few kids that, like my son, who just needs a little, needs to move a bit, even while he's learning, she'll just say, okay, go sit on a ball. And it's not punishment. You just get to sit on the ball and bounce. Can we just take up a special offering right now and get one of those for the church office? I mean, that would, I need one of those. That's amazing. Brilliant. I mean, for these guys, they get to walk and learn. They get to move and learn. I was talking to my wife's uncle the other day, and he does the long trail every year for, for a few decades with his son, ever since his son was a little kid. He said, we would walk, and, and my son would be in front of me. We'd walk the long trail in Vermont, and, and, and we would talk about, even as a teenager, the birds and the bees, and he didn't even have to look at me because he was in front of me. And so he'd get silent, and I'd say, okay, I think he doesn't want to talk about this anymore. And we would just get to walk and talk, and I get to, get to teach him. And that's what Jesus does for seven miles. How incredible is this? 
His, his initial response is foolish ones, slow to believe. The prophets spoke about this. He's referring to the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. It, it talked about this. All that has happened is just a fulfillment of what the prophets, the scriptures have, have said it was going was to come. Can I give you one example of this? This is one of my favorite examples. Psalm chapter 22. On one level, it's, it's David writing. And so on one level, it, it refers to some event in the life of David, probably when he was being pursued by Saul, who was threatened by this young guy. But David gives all these details well beyond what he actually experienced from what we know of history. And he's going beyond his own story, speaking prophetically to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now catch this. This is 700 to 1,000 years prior to Roman crucifixion even being invented as an execution method. And yet it's so descriptive of the crucifixion. Check this out. This is all historically verifiable. Listen to to Psalm chapter 22, 12 through 8. We'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, this is David. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Did you hear all this? This is written long before the cross was even invented. So he starts poured out like water. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. The, the, the crucifixion was the most horrific, terrible execution method you could possibly imagine. And the Romans invented it in such a way that it would, it would just prolong the agony of death. And the heart would be under such great distress that the heart sack would fill up with pockets of water around it to protect the heart. So that when Jesus' heart was punctured at the end of the crucifixion, fluid would have poured out. I mean, up to a liter of fluid could, could pour out like water, he says. That's why it's water and it's like water. David goes on, my, my tongue sticks to my jaws. He's barely able to get a word out on the cross. He's so dehydrated. He says, I thirst. The records say that they gave him some sour wine to drink. To just kind of mess with him a little bit. He says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I mean, pre-crucifixion. Coincidence? I can, I can count all my bones. The Jews asked Pilate, who was the Roman, the Jews asked Pilate, they say, hey, so that Jesus is not hanging on the cross on our Sabbath day, can you go and, and break his legs? And that's what they would do, so they wouldn't hang on the cross on the Sabbath and defile the Sabbath. They'd just break their legs and no longer could they push up off of the cross so that they could fill their lungs with air and breathe again. If you break their legs, they couldn't push up anymore and they would just suffocate and die. It says when they go to do that to Jesus, they didn't have to break his legs because he was already dead. That's what John says. That's why Psalm 22 will say, I can count all my bones. None of the bones are broken. Psalm 22 goes on to say, they divide my garments and they cast lots. That's what they did. They gambled for his clothes after stripping him naked. You can't fake this stuff. Hey, in about a thousand years, here's what I want you guys to do. You're going to don't touch my bones. Make sure I'm naked. They, they, no, you can't fake this stuff. 
It's incredible. It's incredible. And Jesus gives them stuff like this just throughout the whole Old Testament. You know, the sacrificial lamb? I'm the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Remember hearing about that guy, John the baptizer? And how he said, behold, the lamb of God. I'm the perfect lamb. It doesn't have to happen anymore. None of this bloody mess anymore. It's me once and for all, the perfect sacrifice. Just going on and on and on. And it's amazing. Now, there's a lot of proofs. I believe there are just lots of, lots of proofs. And some of you may be interested in studying but can I be honest with you? I personally have never seen anybody get debated to Jesus. I don't think anybody's been given all these proofs and said, wow, Jesus is real. I want to fall down and worship him and make him the Lord of my life right now. But you know what I do often see draw people to Jesus? His grace and his love and his care. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace, you have been saved. That means that you get what you don't deserve. And God looks at you and says, I know all the junk. I know the doubt. I know the struggle. And I love you. Listen to his grace here in in, in verse 25. He says, oh, foolish ones, I'm out of here. I told you guys over and over and over again that I was going to die and how it was going to go down. You even saw that the tomb was empty and the lady said that they saw angels. You should know better. Come on, I'm out of here. See you later. Does he do that? No, he just, he, he, he keeps walking with them. He says, oh, foolish ones, slow to believe. It was laid out in the scripture. Was it not necessary that I should suffer and enter into glory? Now, here's the grace, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them and all the scripture, the things concerning himself. That's grace. He owes you no explanation. And yet a loving seven-mile walk with these guys to explain who he is and what he's done. You know how far seven miles is? From here to Fenway Park, six miles. Go up to Prudential Center, seven miles. Anybody want to do that walk this afternoon with me? Seven mile walk with Jesus. It's incredible. That's a loving and gracious and patient Lord. Dead in the morning, seven miles in the afternoon. I should have believed. Should have believed. But not, oh foolish ones, I'm out of here. Instead, I'm gonna walk with you and I wanna help you because I love you and I care for you and I wanna bring you from here to here. I wanna, I wanna see you be able to place faith in me. I'm not mad, I'm not angry. I know you, I know your story and I wanna help you get there. Now listen to the conclusion. Verse 28, Luke chapter 24, 28. So they drew near to the village which they were going. Okay, seven miles. He acted as if he were going far, farther, but they accused him strong, or urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And he was at table with them, and he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon. He has. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. 
Awesome. Awesome. They get near to their village. And Jesus acts like he's going to go a little further. He says, you want to urge me to stay? I love that. Maybe Jesus is doing that with you right now. All right, I guess I'll be going now. Like your first date. Uh, you want to lay something right here? I guess I'll be going now. And they say, no, 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 please stay. Please, please stay. And they get to eat with Jesus. How cool is that? A meal with, with Jesus. After having broken the spiritual bread of the scriptures, now they break physical bread and they have their eyes opened at that moment. It's Jesus. And then he's gone. And he appears later that day. And he appears throughout the rest of the 39 days. I love that. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, killed their doubts. He helped them to believe. And then they reflect on that long walk with Jesus. They say, did not our hearts burn within us when he was talking to us and opening the scriptures? It was incredible. And what do they do? Seven more miles. They run to the 11 disciples. Man, Cleopas and Mary must have been fit. This is my favorite resurrection appearance of Jesus for so many reasons. It's my favorite because of the grace that's displayed. It's my favorite because of just the time spent. It's my favorite because of the, the distance. So I've been training for a series of races. Some of you don't know this. And I've been, uh, I'll be running in a series of races over the, the next year or so. And I've really become very familiar with this distance. And it's, it's strangely personal to me, seven miles right now. Ever since I was a kid, seven was my favorite number. And so when the, the baseball coach would start handing out jerseys, I would go for number seven, even if it was a double X. Yeah, number seven. And I just had to have it. I just love that number. And I, if you know me, I'm a little obsessive compulsive about some things. So when I go to the gym at the YMCA, I don't do reps of five. I don't do reps of ten. I do reps of seven. And so lately I've been training for these races. And, and the way it works is you have... You're running six days a week, and one day you have a really long run, and then the other days you kind of do a mid-distance run. And you know how long my mid-distance runs have been? Seven miles. And so I've been going three and a half out and three and a half in and loving it. And I'm telling you, it's just been awesome. I've been praying for you as I've been running, and I just, I just can't get over this seven-mile walk with Jesus in my head. And so just I've spent seven miles running praying and trusting that God wants to walk with you, even if you don't realize it, trusting that, that he's going to come alongside of you and he's going to get a hold of your heart. He's going to open your eyes to, to see him. And maybe for you today, like those two disciples, he's come alongside of you. And maybe even right now you're, you're hearing the scriptures, they're, they're stirring you up. And, 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 and the Bible will say in Hebrews that it's, it's living and active in your heart and your heart is burning within you. And, and you're maybe starting to see Jesus now and like he said in verse 26 you're you're starting to see that his death and his resurrection were necessary that's what he says all this was necessary because you turn your back on God you've walked away from God that's sin I'm going to go my own way but Jesus says you know what I I could wipe my hands with him but instead I'm going to step out of heaven I'm going to step into earth and I'm going to save them I'm going to live perfectly the life they couldn't live undeserving of the wage of sin, which is death, and yet I'm going to die, and I'm going to die on a cross in their place so that their penalty for sin, they don't have to pay it forever. That I paid it. So that though you die, yet you shall live. And he's come after you, perhaps even today. And so we come to this crucial juncture in our gathering together. 
in our road, so to speak. I told you I have one long run per week. And so Mondays are my day off. And so for the past two Mondays, instead of going three and a half miles and then three and a half miles, making it seven, I run seven miles up towards Fenway and then back seven miles. And it's crazy that that's what they actually do. (laughs) That they go all that way with Jesus. They say, we're coming back. And they're going to go see the disciples. And they're going to, they're going to, they're going to say, we, we, we've seen Jesus. It's true. He really is alive. And we've got to tell people he's alive. It's amazing. And that's what we feel right now. We're doing stupid stuff like running an extra seven miles to tell you. We want to tell you Jesus is alive. It's incredible. We were going this way. And now we're going this way. And you're going this way. And now you can turn and you can go This way, because Jesus is alive and he wants to turn your life around. He wants to change your life. And I'm calling you to do what they did, and that is to turn. It's the first thing that Jesus says when he begins his ministry. He says, repent. That means turn. It means turn. Stop walking away from God, and and you can turn. And, And though you think, I did the turning, it was actually he had been walking alongside of you, working your heart, He says, all right, it's time. Let's go. And that's where you're at right now. God's been working in your life, and he's saying, let's do this. Let's turn. Let's repent. Let's go in the right direction. I've given you a new focus. I've given you a new purpose in life. This is what it's all about. This is how it's going to make sense. And when you get back to Jerusalem, you're going to go there. You're going to hang out and watch what I do. It's going to be amazing. I've got a great plan for your life, but you need to turn. Would you guys close your eyes for just a moment? Nothing real spiritual about closing your eyes. I just, just want to let you close your eyes and get some distractions out of the room and, and just think on your own life right now. Our prayer is that you would turn. We really believe that, that Jesus has all of us here for a reason this morning. And we want to call you to, to turn and follow him. Remember, none of this would have happened if Jesus had given up on them. He said, oh, foolish ones, you should know better. But Jesus loves them and he pursued them. And he's going to forgive their, their, their sins and he's going to give them a new purpose and a new focus in life. And he, he's pursuing you and he loves you and he's gracious. He doesn't wipe his hands of you. You're here because he loves you. And it is our prayer that you would begin to follow Jesus. And maybe you feel like, I'm a foolish one. I am. I've heard the message of Jesus. I know the message of Jesus. I've been given a second, third, fourth chance. Some of you, maybe I've been raised to follow Jesus. I feel like I should have known better. That's not how Jesus treats you. He says, we're here now. And I don't hold it against you, should you trust in me. I've come alongside of you. I want to open your eyes. Maybe your heart's burning within you. The explanation is that's what Jesus does. That's called the work of God's spirit inside of your heart, stirring you up. Maybe this is the moment where your road and his road intersect. He loves you. He pursues you. He died for you. He resurrected, defeating sin and death for you. Lift your head. You have hope. 
And if you've never begun to follow Jesus, started a relationship with him and turned and said, I don't want to be the Lord and master of my own life. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I'm going to go your way. We'd love to invite you right now to become a Christian, to give your life to Jesus. It's not a series of good deeds and coming to church that'll make you right with God. It's very simply a heart that is repentant. That means a heart that is ready to turn, willing to turn, sees Jesus as better. I want to walk after Jesus, not after myself and my own selfish ambitions and vain glories. If that's you, just in the best way you know how, pray to God and say yes. Yes. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to turn from sin. I want to, I want to be a Christian. Forgive me of, of living my life independent of you. Thank you that you died on the cross. You've resurrected. And you've offered me this gift of life and life eternal. It's my intention to follow you all the days of my life. God, thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of my friends in this room. Thank you for how you are encouraging people and saving people right now. We don't have to say we had hope that he would have saved us. We can say, Jesus saved me. And God, I also pray for for Christians in this room. God, I pray that you would just help them to to walk with you forever. And though they drift and they struggle, you don't don't let go. You don't bail on them. So may they know that too this morning. God, just do your work among us. And as we sing and as we respond, be glorified. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for all that it means. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.